You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Hilton CEO Chris Nassetta joined the Washington Post Live to discuss the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on the travel and tourism industry. Let's listen. Good afternoon, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Michael Duffy. Our guest this afternoon is Chris Nassetta, president and CEO of the Hilton Company, which is the largest, second largest uh, hotel company both in America and the world. He joined the company in 2007, and before that, he was president and CEO of Host Hotels and Resorts. He joins us today from McLean, Virginia. Chris, thanks for being with us today. Michael, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's quite a time uh, to be visiting. Your company was 100 years old last year. It oversees some 1,600 properties, some million hotel rooms, and I'm sure that the last three months have been like anything that you could have possibly imagined. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your business and how it's going since this began. Yeah, well, let me let me back up because last year was a big year. First of all, we have 6,100 uh, properties around the world, 119 countries. Um, but, you know, to, to provide a little bit of a juxtaposition. So last year, 2019 was the 100th anniversary of Hilton, uh, which is pretty amazing. Not that many people live to 100, let alone companies live to 100. We were celebrating having served 3 billion customers, had 10 million team members and a trillion dollars of economic impact over those 100 years. In 2019, pre-COVID was one of the best years in the company's history. We opened more than a hotel a day. We were innovating like crazy. We were named for a second year, the number one great place to work one of the number two great place in the United States, number two great place to work in the world. Um, and the truth is, you know, the company, you know, we had an amazing culture. We were performing at, at the highest levels in a hundred year history. Um, and things changed a lot, as you might imagine. That that was then and this is now. And, you know, really, um, as we got to the end of the year, we, we didn't really have a sense uh, of what was in front of us. I was sort of kidding with my wife. We were, you know, over the holidays with our six children in the in a in a warm place, talking about what a busy year and what a successful year it had been for our family. What a successful year it had been for Hilton, the hundred-year-old business that was performing at the highest levels. And while I had seen a little bit, you know, had a little bit of the threads um, of what was going on because we we run a big global business, we have you know hundreds of hotels in China and we were starting at the end of December and certainly into January to see, you know, uh, telltale signs of, of impact in that market that obviously, you know, went in first and escalated. It was very hard to see, you know, in, in really in January and February uh, until you got into late February, what, what was really coming our way. And so, you know, as we as you sit here today, you know, we're, we're you know, in the middle of, as everybody knows, one of the you know, biggest crises since the Great Depression. You've seen dramatic impact on the business that started in China, that has swept the world. And uh, and while uh, it's super challenging here and here and in Europe and most parts of the world, you you are starting to see um, early stages of recovery, uh, which you know is starting in China and very slowly starting to creep creep around the world as economies begin to open again. Of your 6,100 properties, and forgive me for the error, um, how many are open today, and uh, where generally are you open and seeing that growth? 
At this point, all of our properties in China are open. So we have, you know, our 250 to 300 hotels open in China. Um, and then around the rest of the world, in Europe, about 40% of our properties are still closed. So we call, you know, suspended operations. Only about 11 or 12% are uh, suspended operations here in the Americas. Overall in the world, I think last night I looked at the number, we have 14 or 15% of our hotels. So, you know, in 850 to 900 hotels around the world have suspended operations. And at this point, as I said, China is, uh, is pretty much open, you know, all of our hotels in that market. And I, you know, and in the U.S. even, we are now getting requests to reopen hotels more than more than we are to close. This Europe's moving. Uh, we have more hotels closed. It's moving a little bit slower, but we're, we're starting to see it. You know, and you, you've seen, you know, second quarter numbers we just reported were were down um, meaningfully. But I mean, first quarter numbers were down meaningfully. Second quarter will be much more so because the epicenter of the crisis really from an impact point of view started in April and conti is, continues on into May. What are you projecting for the second half to the extent that you can project it all? I think it's really difficult to project, so we're not. I mean, we, we have historically been very willing to give guidance because I, you know, my view has been who knows better than the management team what we think is gonna happen in the business over time. And so it's sort of a, our obligation to help our shareholders and the broader market understand what we think is going to happen. The problem in this environment is it's it's impossible to know. It really has a lot to do with the trajectory of, of the reopening of the world and of America. And while I have a view on that, I mean, I don't have a lot of visibility. I think at this point, very few people have visibility. So I, I, I don't think it's prudent for us to, you know, to talk about what that will look like in the second half of the year. What I, what I would say broadly is, and this is sort of the pattern you've seen uh, develop in China as it, as it reopens safely and people start to have more mobility and are able to travel and visit friends and conduct open businesses again uh, and congregate in a safe way again. You've seen sort of a step change in level of occupancy. So, you know, China was basically almost everything was closed. I think we hit a low point of like 9%. Right now we're in the 40s, something like that. Um, here in the US, we're probably in the mid 20s. I suspect as more and more states and cities, you know, get operational, even on a limited and safe basis, you will see a step change in performance similar to what you've seen in China. And then uh -huh. I think it's going to be and then I think it's going to be a, you know, a grind out, um, you know, a step up and then and then a relatively slow grind. I think for us to get back to levels of demand that we had in our centennial year, I think it takes three or four years. I, I mean, I just think, you know, what, what's happening is you're coming through, you know, uh, uh, a health crisis, and we're not through that by any means, but I mean, we may be arguably through the epicenter of it, and you're going to exit that into an economic crisis. Now, a lot's being done to you know, to help mitigate against that, both by the Fed and, and Congress and the administration. And they, I think they've all done a, a yeoman's job of sort of, re, of, of responding to it. But I think, I think that, you know, there's just so much damage being done to so many businesses out there that I think when you get to the other side of this, you, you are clearly, you are in now and you will be in some form of recession for a period of time 
that will take time to sort of get through and get to the other side of. And so as I think about our business, the long-term prospects for our business are spectacular. Everything that was true when we celebrated our centennial um, about the progress we were making is, is true today. You know, we have an amazing business model. We have amazing partners. We have an incredibly over 100 million loyal honors members that ultimately do want to travel again and see their friends and see the world and do business. But it's going to take them some time to feel safe and secure to want to do it. One and two, it's going to take businesses some time to sort of get back on their feet and, uh, you know, and start hiring and investing and, and, uh, and spending more on travel. And so, yeah, I'm super optimistic. I'm no, I'm no less optimistic, as funny as it sounds, about our business today as I was uh, 90 days ago. It's just going to take time. It's just, you know, time and place. I think it's just going to be a period of years to sort of get back on the right trajectory. Talk to us a little bit about how you decide uh, when to open up and where, and setting aside what you have to do, just is this is a decision that's made by you at the headquarters in McLean, or our local partners uh, making the decision. You got a lot of different uh, stakeholders, and who owns all the properties? Who decides when a hotel opens it's, up? It's in collaboration um, with our ownership community. So, uh, you know, our model is that we about thirty percent of the business we manage it for third-party owners, and about seventy percent of the business we franchise with third-party owners who actually own and operate or, you know, uh, or may own and somebody, a third party other than us would operate for them. And so it's always a discussion with, uh, with the ownership community who have to bear the brunt of the cost of operating the hotel, whether it makes sense to open it or whether it made sense to close it. I mean, what's interesting is we throw these, these, the, these concepts around like, yeah, this is old hat. I said this to the president of the United States on my first visit to the White House of my three during the crisis, I said, I've been doing this 37 years, something like that. We've been in business 100 years. Other than closing a hotel for the purposes of tearing it down to rebuild it or for another use, we don't ever close hotels. It doesn't right. happen. So it's been extraordinary that we actually did it. But we had to in the sense that there was literally was zero mobility pretty much everywhere in the world. There was, there was no demand. So that was a decision we made in collaboration with our owners. And on the other side, same thing. So when we will open when we believe, working with our partners who are so important to our success and our future, that there is enough demand to justify opening the hotel uh, in a way that they can, they can generate revenues and ultimately profitability to help cover, cover their expenses. And that's sort of, you know, that's what's been happening. As you open up in partnership, how do, is, how do you and the people who own the properties safeguard the staff? Well, I think we, we have two jobs, right? The, you know, if you think about this recovery, you know, generally it's been safeguarding people, safeguarding the business and preparing for recovery. As we think about safeguarding the people, that's both our team members that are working in the hotels first, because if we don't take care of them, what good are they to our customers? And then ultimately our customers. So we've been working very hard uh, in partnership with Lysol and the Mayo Clinic. Uh, we went out, I don't know, six weeks ago and said, you know, the reality is we have incredible hygiene standards, right? We, we were, we've been dealing with cleaning rooms and public spaces and hygiene and kitchens, you know, for a hundred years. But the level of, uh, of, of the necessity in today's world in a COVID-19 world, we thought was much higher. And we really wanted to have sort of hospital grade um, hygiene and cleanliness 
um, protocols. And so we went out and said, let's work with, with Lysol, let's work with Bayo Clinic to have them help us take our already solid standards and make them even better. And that includes how do we take care of our team members? So that means uh, making sure that, that we understand if they're sick, either through temperature checks or uh, potentially some amount of testing. That means providing them PPE. That means making sure that, you know, that they are uh, protected and that they're distanced. And then as, from the standpoint of our customers, a whole host of protocols, if you want, want me to walk you through the vision of, of, we'll the, get there. of, yeah, of the short term that we're going to do to take care, take care of our customers. Because here's the thing, the one thing I know, whether it's COVID or not, people don't go places, they're not safe. So whether it's terrorism, pandemic, what, 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 you know, any form of strife, if you don't feel safe, you don't travel, you don't go to those destinations. And so right now, people really don't feel safe anywhere. And right. so we can't solve all the problems, but we can certainly make them feel, we can solve the problem that when they're in our ecosystem, if they make it that far, we're gonna help make sure that they're safe. Great, we'll get to the guests in a second. I just wanna dwell a little bit more on the staff because they are first, first step. Um, what can Hilton do or any company at this point to test all its employees? Do you, is that still a challenge logistically? I think it is still a challenge. I think, yes, it is definitely challenging. We're, we are not doing that. I mean, we, we have other protocols in place, which is people sort of self-reporting, whether they feel ill, they have temperatures, um, et cetera. We will, we, we will likely start doing uh, temperature, temperature checks. And then, as I said, we will definitely provide them with and and create requirements that they wear masks in certain parts of the hotel, that they wear gloves. And we think through a mosaic of these sorts of things, we can keep them safe and we can keep our customers safe if, if uh, God forbid, one of our team members is infected and, and is on premises. But it's your sense that eventually you're going to have to be testing your employees on a regular and continuing basis. To, I, to I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I think we will likely be doing temperature checks and self-reporting, mm -hmm. and as I said, plenty, you know, plenty of PPE. I do not think, you know, just based on at least the way the tests exist today, that we necessarily mm -hmm. will be testing. And then the question is, how often would you test? Every single day, every time somebody leaves the property because they could go out and get infected. So I think that, you know, again, we're still working with the Mayo Clinic on exactly what the right protocols are. But I, I think between PPE and temperature checks and other distancing methods, we feel like we will we will be able to keep our team out of harm's way. Have you had trouble with the uh, access to PPE as well? We have not. No, we have not. We have ample access to PPE at this point. I would say almost almost unlimited access to PPE. I, I must get 100 emails a day from somebody trying to sell me something that I push over to our supply management team. And so talking to our head of supply management, I think we have unlimited access to what we need. Now, if I'm going on a trip and I'm going into a hotel, what should I look for in terms of uh, protocols and safeguards as a guest? Yeah, well, I close your eyes. I'll take you on the hotel of okay. the future tour. So, I mean, the first is, first is um, some of the things we were already doing, we're just going to lean into and I think will be adopted more quickly. So the first step will be we already have a digital check-in, digital room selection for every hotel in the United States and digital key. So you never need to go to the front desk. You don't need to do anything. You get an email or you can go in the Hilton Honors app. You can pick your room on a map, you can check in and you get a digital key and you're on your own. So I think 
the reality is contactless entry is going to be a huge thing. It was already getting great adoption. I think it will be massively adopted at this point. So the way to think about it now is you'll, you'll, you're traveling that day, you'll check in, you'll, get your, you'll pick your room, you'll have your digital key, you'll come to the hotel, you'll see you know, a PPE station where you have sanitizers, masks if you needed other things. You will see you know, a lot of signage about distancing in public spaces. You will see setup of furniture, including in the restaurants to allow for that. You'll see a different setup in the restaurants you know, in terms of, you know, the normal buffet may be more of a single uh, serving, you know, grab and go, at least in the, in the short to intermediate term. Elevators will, will require distancing. When you go to your room, when you, you have your digital key and you open the door, you'll break a seal that, that will say to you that this room has been cleaned to the highest standards using Lysol products at Mayo Clinic protocols. Our teams have been trained on that. So you literally would break a seal and know that your room is clean. The clutter of the room would be gone. If you want to get on the TV or your temperature change or 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 uh, lighting, you can run all of that from connected room from, from your Hilton Honors app. Um, you can order room service, which we drop, uh, you know, knock and drop as opposed, you know, so that it's contactless. Um, so you can run everything in your room without touching things that, of course, the room will have been cleaned to the highest standards. And when you want to leave, you check out with your with the Hilton Honors app. You order your lift if you want through the Hilton Hilton Honors app. You leave, you go on your way for your for your next experience. And so some of those things I just described um, are new. You know, some of the right. protocols with Lysol and and uh, and Mayo Clinic are new. Um, you know, getting the clutter out of the room. Some of the things in the food and beverage and distancing are new. And some of it, some of it st are things that we were doing. We just are now going to lean into that more heavily. What I, what I would say, you could disagree on this, and, and you might. Some of that is going to be permanent, and some of that's going to be temporary. So the things that are going to happen from a increased hygiene and better protocols, we were already good at that. But I, I don't see us ever retreating. Why not have the absolute highest protocols in terms of hygiene? Um, some of the things like connected room and digital key and check-in. We were doing that anyway. And that, that'll be a permanent part of your future because you wanted that, you know, as a customer, you wanted those things anyway, digital checkout, all, all of, you know, all of the things that sort of run your world when you're with us digitally will stay. Some of the things in PPE and, you know, our team members wearing masks, customers wearing masks, um, distancing, you know, I, you know, people could disagree. I think when you wake up in three years, all of that will be much, uh, pretty much what it was 90 days ago and not what you're going to see in the short to intermediate term. Um, because we will, you know, we'll get through the health elements of this. And, and I think people will, once again, you know, begin to feel safe and go back to a more normalized existence. It will probably change the way people think about hotels, yes? I think so, yeah. I think tell so, me, to a degree. Tell, I mean, and will the experience probably change permanently for many guests? Um, well, as I said, elements of it will change permanently. I think, you know, there'll be a lot more digital interaction. Um, but here's the thing, okay? The, the magic of our business is hospitality, right? It's, I say to our teams all the time, we're a business of people serving people. And the real magic, when I get customer feedback, of course, they want life to be simple and digital check-in and all that makes life easy. It takes friction out. But the, the notes I get from people when they have great experiences have to do with the hearts and souls of the people that are serving them. And I don't mm -hmm. 
excuse me, I don't think that ever is going to change. I think people want human interaction. They want, you know, they want to go out. They want to see friends, family, travel, have experiences uh, with other cultures around the world. They want incredibly heartfelt service delivered by our teams. And, and so I think the core elements of our business, which I would describe are hospitality, you know, people serving people. I don't think in the long term, any of that's going to change any, you know, any more than it already was, meaning certain mechanical elements of the of the experience are going to be digitized. But that was that was happening anyway. It's going to happen faster, but that was happening right. anyway. And, the, and, and that allows our teams to be freed up to, to curate better experiences um, for our customers from a human point of view. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the teams, especially since you're having to train or retrain so many of, of them. How many people are working at Hilton today, and how does that compare to, uh, say, at the beginning of the year when you were at your peak? Well, we we had in the whole ecosystem about 430,000 people in 119 countries around the globe. We have had to furlough, you know, and that's corporate and and uh, frontline teams. We have furloughed, along with most in the industry, probably. Uh, a little bit more than 60% of our workforce at this point. Um, and obviously, as we get to recovery, are working on and hopeful that we'll be able to bring um, the bulk of those back. And, and I am highly confident that we will. The question of when has to do with the, you know, the trajectory of, of this recovery. Because again, the bulk of those 400, and 400 plus thousand folks are in our hotels that, that ultimately from a cost point of view or the responsibility of our ownership community, we have to be really thoughtful. They don't have revenues coming in. And so as painful as it is for our frontline team members, and trust me, I, I feel that pain is the number one great place to work in the United States. There really, there really was no alternative. The thing that we've worked really hard is to do it the right way. You know, we've worked one of the first things I did, you know, when, when I was asked to go, to the White House and, you know, was, was talking to folks on the Hill as people were thinking about how to respond to this is really working on behalf of our frontline team members to make sure that we created a safety net um, with, with the, the uh, unemployment, I call it affectionately unemployment insurance on steroids, but the top up of the federal on top of the state unemployment insurance and also working very hard on behalf of our ownership community from, a you know, to make sure that we were providing a liquidity bridge for businesses, most of which are small and medium-sized businesses that had no revenues coming in, but still had to pay expenses and debt service and all those fun things. But the first objective really was making sure we were taking care of our teams. And to the credit of Congress, the administration, you know, while while nothing's perfect, I think they've they've tried and done a very good job of trying to take care of a a, a broad swath of people that have been. Um, terribly impacted and, and, and those that can least afford to be impacted. You know, b travel has lots of different sectors. There's business travel, there's there's personal travel, there's group meetings. Uh, which one of these are you kind of looking forward to, toward to come back first? Well, traditionally what you would see is the following sequence. The three big segments are uh, leisure transient, as we call it, business transient, and then group business, which is largely business and association uh, and other types of groups. You would typically see the, the cadence of leisure would come back first, then business, then group. And, and, and I think that's what you're going to see now. I mean, it's interesting. Even this weekend, you know, one of the things that we're doing, I was just talking to uh, our head of operations, excuse me, for the, for the Americas. We have a bunch of hotels this holiday weekend that are, that 
that have um, very high levels of occupancy. And so we're trying to make sure we have all the right protocols in place um, to make sure that we can distance, that we don't take too much occupancy so that people, you know, we, we make sure that we're, we're in a safe, secure environment. And so already, that's an example of already you're starting to see people want to get out from a leisure point of view. It's summer, mm -hmm. they've been cooped up. So right. I think it's leisure, then it's business, then it's group. Chris, what regionally, what, 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 where are those places? What, what, any, any pattern to where that's happening? Warm, warm and beach. <laughs> the two areas that have been doing best most recently are extended stay hotels. So think about it. Like for us, that's home two suites by Hilton, home wood suites. They have kitchens. They're mm -hmm. like little right. mini apartments. And that's right. because it's a lot of first responders that are working on things. And then it's uh, beach and holiday market. So Florida, Florida, I suspect, is going to have a very good Memorial Day weekend. A lot of demand. Warm even and though sandy. No parks, even, though, even though there are no parks open, no Disney, people people want to get out. And they're, and and they're going to get out. And this weekend, strike, this weekend shows a change from previous weekends. Correct. Yes. Dramatically uh, so. Has, now, has, not, by the way, not across the whole system. Yeah, I got I'm it. talking I, about in limited places. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, has Hilton taken any federal assistance directly? No, we have not, and we would not. We've not asked for any. As I said, the only thing that we've, the only thing we've been uh, pushing for from the very beginning that we feel, and we feel good about what the administration and Congress and the and Treasury and uh, and the Fed have done was, uh, you know, taking care of frontline teams and helping our ownership community with a liquidity bridge. We we didn't need it. We were in a really good position. I mean, this is hard on everybody, but. You know, yeah. we knew we were at the end of a business cycle, so we had we had extended all our maturities. We had built-in uh, opportunities Christian. for incremental liquidity. Liquidity. We actually hit the bond market very attractively during the crisis. So, you know, we we have ample amounts of liquidity to get through. So it's not been about us. Do you think public companies should take federal assistance generally? Do you have a position on that? I think my position is really simple. I think if they can get access to the public markets, either debt or equity, that's what they should rely upon. And I right. think if they can't, I think the government should consider, depending on the circumstances, helping them. And that may be a negotiation. But here's the thing I say you know, to people all the time, like a housekeeper that is out of work does not know whether she or he works for a big, medium or small company. Right. They, I right. mean, so what you want is you what we're trying to do. This is all about jobs. Right. We're at the highest level of unemployment since the Great Depression. So to me, it's all about jobs. The only way we get the economy restarted is getting people reemployed. OK, whether you're big, small or medium, if you go bust because you have no access to liquidity and it becomes a solvency issue, which is what will happen you are not going to be in a position to reemploy large amounts of people. So for me, I think it's very clear. If you have access to the public markets, you should utilize that access. That's what we've done. We, we have not asked for any government assistance. We will not ask for government assistance. But if you have no access to, to the public market, you cannot raise capital. And yet you have a business that before this was a, a, a well-functioning business that employed a lot of people. You want to make sure that those businesses of all sizes get to the other side and don't go through insolvency and, and as a result, cannot reemploy people as quickly. Because if you don't get people reemployed, the economic damage is going to go on longer than anybody would like. 
I know that you've laid off a lot of people or furloughed them. Uh, tell me a little bit about your plans to re a little more about your plans to rehire if you can. We only have a minute or two left. Are, can yeah, we say we're you're working? Yeah, we, we are. I mean, we're doing, you know, incrementally as hotels open, people are getting reemployed from a corporate point of view. We're sort of in the middle of trying to figure out, uh, have a view on the contours of the recovery to try and make judgments on how we'll transition from furlough to calling people back. I know you'd like more and, and, and I would like to give you more, but we're right in the middle, in the throes of sort of figuring that out with the obvious objective of getting as many of our hearts and souls back on board as we can. You know, we, as I said, we are the number one great place to work, designation two years running, number two, two years running in the world. Our culture and our people mean everything to us. They're the heart and soul of the company. Nothing pains me more than the impact that, that, uh, that they have seen. And so the faster we can get the economy restarted in a safe way um, and, and uh, get hotels reopened and get people reemployed, I think the better off it will be for everybody, including us. Well, thank you, Chris. We, we are grateful for your time and your perspective and your thoughts uh, as we all ponder uh, the road back. Um, so it was great to have you today. Um, I hope we can do it again. Uh, Reminded every, uh, <laughs> everyone else that as we continue to cover all aspects of this story here at The Post, uh, we'll hear tomorrow from Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska and Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. Uh, that's at Wednesday uh, at 11 a.m. Then on Friday, my colleague Bob Costa will interview Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, and Ray Dialio, uh, who's co-chairman of Bridgewater Associates. That's Friday at 1 p.m. Uh, you can head to thewashingtonpostlive.com to register for both of these uh, conversations. Thank you very much. I'm Michael Duffy. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.